Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 74. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are usually a draft-focused podcast with our goal being to help me get better at draft. But this week, we're not doing any of that. In fact, we have a special show this week. I finally, I convinced Hats to get back on here. Uh, I told you last week, because he doesn't listen to the show, would never hear all the trash talk I did last week. Yeah. No, not you. I said Hats wouldn't be coming out of his cabin in the woods until a, a new draft format came out. A new draft format came out. Still wasn't enough, but I said this week we're going to talk about video games that are not eternal. And that sort of piqued Hats' interest. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh since I have absolutely nothing to say on this topic, I thought we would uh, also call in our what our resident other game player in the Farming Eternal Discord and Eternal Streaming World, Mercurio Blue. Welcome, so we Mercurio a, Blue. Yeah. yeah, so we have a special guest this week, Merc and uh, Hats. Hey, guys. Hey. hey. Yeah. How's it going? Hey. <laughs> Hi. I'm, Mike, I'm Mercurio Blue. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, we're very excited yeah. to have you here. Yeah, yeah. In case you uh, didn't get what we're talking about this week from my long-winded intro, this week we're kind of just going to be talking about, because set 9 has been getting a little old, and I know set 1 just came out and we're having this eternal celebration week. Papa, why are you not playing? <laughs> but we, have, we do have another guest again this Papa, week. What? I know set 1 just came out, but because of the timing schedule and the fact that it's a short-lived format, we really felt like... We didn't necessarily need to give strategy tips for set one draft. So we thought we'd use this opportunity to talk about things or games one might want to play if they're getting a little burnt out on Eternal and maybe all of the RNG that some people have felt these uh, past mm. two formats have had. Um, so we thought we'd just have kind of a fun episode and talk about some other games. So we will do our usual setup, though. So first off... Um, have you guys been doing any eternal drafting this past week? I have done a tiny amount of drafting, yes. And how did uh, it go? Well, I, uh, I I was intrigued by the possibility of uh, of doing a set one draft. Uh, and for anyone who's uh, not sure what's going on, uh, as part of the big eternal celebration, they've completely changed the normal draft format to the original draft format where you just draft from the very first set, all four packs of the set one. Uh, and I was not playing Eternal at that time, so I thought, this will be fun. Uh, I did one draft, I went 7-2, and then I think I'm done <laughs> with set <laughs> one. <laughs> I, I yeah. think I've experienced all I need to. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Pr Primal is good. Uh, Primal is possibly the best faction, which is uh, which I don't think was ever true again after set one. Uh, because there's a lot of good flyers, and good flyers are good in draft. And that's, in fact, exactly what happened. As I first picked a, a, um, an Eager Outlet, which is a 0-3 flyer for 2 justice uh, that becomes a 3-3 flyer if you control any other flyers, and then just went Huru Flyers. Uh, and that worked out just fine. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a perfectly good thing to do. Um, I've watched people draft uh, on on Twitch a little bit. Uh, it seems like Thelm is really good. You can draft really aggressive Rakano and Stone Scar decks. That's fun because uh, there's a lot of cheap weapons and good removal and stuff in those in in those uh, factions. But uh, it wasn't enough to drag me back in. I got life things going on. 
I'm, I'm sort of enjoying playing other games. And so my little break from obsessively drafting uh, is, is treating me well. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you got to play one draft and leave with a winning record. I did. I did yeah. okay. Yeah. How was your draft week, Merck? Uh, I, I did a couple of drafts. I had like a bound deck where I had, um, I think it was like Ryan Scale, Draconis, Aya Winter, and Stewart of Pass. Promptly went 1 3. I got two of my losses were to like super aggro Haru Flyer decks. Go figure. They also had like multiple flash freezes. Yeah. And then flash I think, yeah. And I think the last one was just like Ricano aggro. And then I did a. Elysian deck splashing like a couple removal spells. I think splashing like execute and beating time, and then I went five three. I think the the best game was when I cast a turn three ageless mentor to pump six units in my hand and still lost the game. Oh no! <laughs> it was just kind of amazing how things like lined up. Like my opponent's deck was amazingly. Uh, they just had some really great threats. Like. Um, Umbran Reaper and a bunch of Granadin Thrones and Double Rally. Umbran Reaper is the one when it yeah. dies, it steals yeah. five life from you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had Umbran Reaper with the Dark Return to get it back. I was like, yeah, pretty good. I've seen a lot of people splashing Dark Return uh, yeah. in this format. Like, no matter what, you play your Dark Returns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dark Return was just kind of like the OG you know, reanim or raise dead type effect and it was just like the it was so much better than, you know, like the magic version of Raise Dead. Cause like the magic version of Raise Dead would just be like bring the card back. But you know, adding that plus one plus one is just like so golden or whatever. Like it yeah. makes it really good. Yeah, it makes a makes a makes a threat that they had to deal with it harder to deal with the next time. Yeah, it's it's kinda interesting, uh uh, Tyler Cheney, uh, Johnny Avon in game, has been streaming a lot. And one of his drafts, he, it wasn't like technically a stipulation draft, but he said he was going to pick every dark return. Yeah. Pack, I, I, no matter what. And so he ended up with a deck with three dark, or six dark returns mm. and about three thorn beasts and a couple other units that didn't mind being dark returned. And then just got like. Yeah. It was, I think, a pretty easy seven wins. And he's been struggling with the format, but that deck in particular was just, like, really, yeah. really yeah. ridiculous. Like, attacking people with, like, 11 power um, Ravenous Thorn Beasts and stuff. But then, like, in my last draft, I haven't played any of the games, but I drafted uh, a sort of a Felm aggro deck. And I was still getting, like, 10th pick Dark Returns. And with how easy things are to splash in this format, it, that just seems very wrong. Um, yeah, well, not everyone has... Uh, not everyone's part of, like, the, the circle, you know, of, of people who have all of the main draft knowledge and watch each other's Twitch streams. Uh, they just didn't get the... Yeah. They just yeah. didn't get the memo memo that you're supposed to take dark return above basically everything else, because uh, yeah. you would yeah. have to. Because it's not like, obvious unless you've yeah. been like really experimented with it or have been told it or if you have a lot of drafting experience that a that a spell that doesn't make a unit on its own would be that good. Oh yeah, I guess 
I guess what's surprising to me a little bit is that I feel like with Dark Return being sort of one of the OG powerful spells that there would be more now. Like in this format, I have yet to draft a torch because torches are just never passed. Right. And I I think Dark Return is probably... Or like even Finest Hour. Like I've drafted a few Finest Hours. Sometimes those go late. Dark Return sometimes goes those go late. And both of those seem equally, if not more powerful than Torch to me. I yeah, think it's just fair. Torch is so much like lightning bolt from magic that people just automatically assume, oh, it's like three for one, even if it's slow, it's still yeah. really, really good. I want to go on my way to like play it as opposed to like, you know, Dark Return, oh, that looks like Raise Dead. I don't like Raise Dead. I like just more threats or more removal but even though dark return can give back a threat yeah yeah you can't dark return someone's face (laughs) you you cannot do that (laughs) yeah but yeah i so i it's oddly enough i've definitely played more set one than either of you two because i've done a whole bunch last saturday i was Mm -hmm. um not feeling very well, so I ended up just like not working and just sitting on the couch and played a whole bunch of drafts. And I've been having like a kind of mixed results. I'm probably yeah. over 50%, but like hasn't felt great. Um, and I don't know how I feel about the format. I think If it, if I wasn't like caring about my record or winning, I think I would be having fun in this format because I kind of like the simpler sort of back to basics gameplay yeah. of this format, but it's a little too bomb heavy and play draw dependent for me to like really love it. And it's like really frustrating to have a good deck that you happen to go second three times in a row and then just like. <laughs> lose all of those games or whatever and then you're like yeah. uh, and there's no mechanic like plunder that you can use to make your deck more consistent um there's yeah not, scout uh, didn't exist at the time there's no yeah play. there's not even I mean, scout plays, yeah yeah i mean it, it basically plays like a magic core set like more like you know than what i mean that like magic origin which is like really aggressive you know like just because you know, all the all, all the infiltrate and the war cry really for not being able to like block and yeah. torch be and torch being slow is like a huge thing too you know because I played most like I play, I probably played like forty drafts of set one you know when it was there because you know it was around for like over like almost like a year and a half or something before set two came out. And so but like I played so much of set one back then and you know, having torch be fast was like a huge huge difference because it's like it made it so much easier to like interact with like your opponent's combat trick because it's like oh you want to find this now or pass my guy i torch in response you know and it made it much more riskier to like go all in on like a combat trick yeah that's why i think uh magic in every draft format has had at least one fast speed 
um, rem- cheap removal spell. Yeah, yeah. Now it's basically just lightning strike, or if you're lucky, you might have like an annihilate. You know, but that's still, you know, it's like maybe you're lucky to have those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like lightning strikes, you can find, but even then, um, I mean, they blow out combat tricks, but like lightning strike. I don't know. I guess Torch doesn't either, but does nothing against, you know, weapons that people put on their units. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of Voltroning, and you can kind of feel, like, the pain when there's not, like, you know, easy ways of, like, dealing with Voltron, you know, because, like, Vanquish is uncommon, and, you know, same thing with, like, Death Strike is also uncommon. I mean, I think the best, cleanest way usually is, like, to try and permafrost, which is also uncommon, or, you know, execute the Voltron, but sometimes like their Voltron also has endurance. So you're like, oh, well, I can't permafrost that, and if I want to execute it, I have to throw something into it and hope they block, you know, if 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 their Voltron has endurance. Right. I've also been seeing a lot more people playing uh, Infinite Hourglass compared to, like, when, you know, set one first came out. It's like, People have become, like, afraid of getting, like, tempoed out by the three Flash Freeze, three Gerald's Frostkin deck. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I I agree. I've started putting Infinite Hourglass into my decks, too, just because of that. Because um, you can get so blown out by Flash Freeze. There's also, um, you know, Permafrost. And then even the um, the one two flyer that freezes. There's yeah. just like a lot of stun, and because primal seems to be the sort of one of the better decks or arc, you know, one of the better colors. It's like almost, you know, it's an anti-primal card more or less. But because primal is so pre- prevalent, it feels worth it to put it in your time decks. Especially because your time decks are going slower, so you just need it. Just helps you stabilize in 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 a certain sense. Because what what has been happening, I think, a lot is you finally stabilize in time, and then they just play flash freeze, and then you're just dead. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of trouble with time decks, just making them work and being able to interact with all the things your opponents could be doing because. I I've kind of like feel like there's three categories of like really good decks in this format. One is um these like these tempo blue flyer decks with like flash freezes and stun effects and a lot of evasive units that are hard to interact with. Then you have these like uh fire-based aggro decks that can suit up and be really big. And then you have these uh sort of uh, longer game decks that either have a bunch of the sort of the bombs that are in set one. There's just like a lot of good rares or just like some of the good time cards like the, um, you know, the seven cost five, five Sentinel that produces more, you know, so there's like, there are decks that can like really go over the top and it's hard for, I feel like, an average or fair mid-range deck to be able to like defend against all three types of decks you know it's like you put infinite hourglass in your deck 
to fight off all of these Huru decks, but they can still, or Huru or Felm Flyer decks, but then they can still just play enough Flyers and go over you and win. Yeah. Or, you know, or the, the Voltron decks, there's just like, it's, you know, I've had trouble where they just like put a couple weapons on a single unit and then all of a sudden, like, none of your removal works anymore. Right, yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> they've outgrown all of my removal, so I guess I lose. Or then someone just, like, plays a bomb, and you're in time, and you're like, oh, shoot, they, I have no way to deal with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, I don't know, it's been interesting. I've, I've been enjoying myself. I've been playing a lot of different decks, and um, I'm mostly feeling good about myself because I've been... <laughs> Sort of scratching on the top twenty surface yeah, for a yeah. while, so I guess I'm having a good draft month in That's in good. that regard. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I was gonna say it's it's nice that they actually have like multiple archetypes in the in the format again, as opposed to like set nine where it was just like oh. Um, you're playing a Siphoner Paladin Caravan Guard Dirtle deck, or you're doing something that tries a Dirtle, but is just like worse at it because you don't have Caravan Guard and Siphoner Paladin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. I, I, I think I was higher on the set nine drafts than most people. And, um, I've been, like I mentioned, I've been watching a whole bunch of Tyler Cheney and, yeah. And uh, he he really liked the set nine draft. So yeah, yeah, I do think people were giving that that format a bit of short shrift in that you could do. I think you could do more than people let on, and yeah. I do think I do think part of the problem and um, is that the like best players sort of like fixated on a certain strategy and then it it sort of became like a self-fulfilling thing where it's just all the best players and maybe it's just because it was the best deck like latched on to huru and then all they ever played was huru and then so you just like never mm, never face no one ever else, like played yeah, right. fire even yeah. though you could build a winning deck with fire but it's just like this self-perpetuating thing right. a little bit yeah, especially if you just like keep facing against people with like insane Haru decks over and over again, and you start thinking maybe I should start taking Haru cards more highly, even if they don't look super good initially. But you think like, oh, well, I'll still I'll still get paid off with all the finest hours and changey sticks in pack two and three and stuff. Right. And it's also just because you know, you know, Arjun Depth's Justice Commons are like really deep, so it's so, so it's really easy to like fall into the trap of like always drafting like some kind of Haru deck yes mm. all right i think that ended up uh, yeah. unintentionally being a pretty good uh summary of set one and a little bit of an overview so for those of you who need that in these last couple days that you'll have to both listen to this and play set one i hope that was helpful We'll move on to announcements here where we plug our Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes, recording bloopers, and nudge us when we have them towards some Patreon goals. Um, So this 
and then as always, we'd like to thank all our patrons. So thank you to our veteran patrons, Cotillion, Loki, Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abinago, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yes Stout. We really appreciate all the support. This was the story I meant to say in my how my draft week was going. But uh, so today, horrible, miserable weather outside here in uh, upstate New York. It was uh, right around 40 degrees, pouring rain the whole day. And then tomorrow night, it's going to be 18 degrees. So, um, oh, that's very cold. Well, yeah, yeah. very, very that's... cold. So we were we had the harvest all day to get a whole bunch of food that can't survive 18 degrees um, out of the field and into our coolers. So um, it's it's a little bit after five, and I'm uh, the rest of our crew went home, but there was still a little bit left. So uh, my wife and I were uh, harvesting lettuce in the pouring rain, and I was just like, "Oh hey, remember that Asian guy with the deep voice who streams Eternal? He's coming on the podcast tonight." And she was like, "What? Mercurial Blues coming on your podcast tonight? That's awesome." <laughs> And I was like, how do you know his name? <laughs> and she's like, how did you get him to come on your podcast? I can't believe it. <laughs> and so, Mercurio, you're really. Oh, well, it was very flattering, yeah. It's outstanding. It's, yeah. I only described you in that way because I, I, not in a million years, would I have thought my wife would know the name Mercurio Blue. But oh. she was just like, starstruck as we were out there harvesting <laughs> well, that's that's certainly i'm flattered i mean that's very high praise yeah. in the rain and she was just like, <laughs> the mercurial blues coming on your podcast that's great <laughs> and i was like i don't know i don't know maybe this is a, an unfair characterization because uh, i was like i i just feel like our podcast we're like at least close to the same level of notoriety in the eternal community obviously mercurial blue is more popular more well known but like in the same ballpark i didn't yeah, yeah. i didn't think it was like outstanding that you would come on the show you know but anyway we i appreciate you coming on the show oh so, yeah um, thank, thank thank you for inviting me and thank you for you know sharing a story i, I feel better now that's, that cheered me up for sure <laughs> to hear that, to hear that, uh, you know, that your wife thought so highly of me. Yeah, it was because sometimes, you know, I'm watching the stream, and she, this is a couple months ago, she was like, "Oh, who's that?" I was like, "Oh, that's Mercury Blue. He streams Eternal a lot." And then, and then, and that was it. That's all we had, I've ever spoken of you to her. But she was like immediately. Yeah, it's a well, Mercurio uh, is 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 a has has his face on on the screen yeah you know you're str you stream and people can see your face it's like you're on tv <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a higher level <laughs> sort of automatically i once uh i once was telling my girlfriend about uh, uh about the, like the other podcasts other than ours like i was uh, you know i was mentioning that we had sort of a joke rival podcast and then there were some people that did another one and she was flabbergasted 
that there were so many eternal podcasts. She was like, why are there so many? Yeah. <laughs> and I answered her like, well, it's a strategy game with a lot to talk about. Like it's a deep strategy game. So of course there are. In fact, most of us agree that there should be more podcasts. <laughs> and it just blew her mind because she plays, uh, she plays, games that are like mobile games you know like free to play games where you can just sort of play one game and grind for months at a time um and there's no podcasts about like mm. heyday or you know uh I, I um she plays something called shop titans and there's no podcasts about that because there's nothing to talk about the gameplay is pretty straightforward and there's nothing wrong with those i play those games occasionally too but they don't have they don't have discussion points like once you've said well you build the most expensive thing you can and when you have enough currency you buy the next big thing that's your strategy if you don't do that you're not doing it right <laughs> like the podcast is one episode and then you're done but if it's eternal then obviously there's plenty to talk about but it blew her mind that there that the thing that i do was done by more than two people total <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah it actually used to, there used to be a whole bunch more Eternal podcasts, and they've slowly fallen by the wayside. Yeah, the heyday of Eternal's popularity is definitely behind us, unfortunately. But, uh, but we keep trudging along here in, uh, in Farming Eternal. They keep releasing new cards. Yeah. Yeah. Or really old cards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Speaking of which, that would usually lead us into card of the week, and we were all going to complain about all the bomb rares in this format. But I think we should just cut that, and we'll okay. get on okay. to our main topic. We okay. talked a lot about set one already. Yeah, yeah we, we need to hear about how good Thunderstrike Dragon, Chalice, Crystal and Chalice, and Crystallize are. If yeah, you've played this format, you've probably already figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it really was just us complaining about how balmy the format is pretty much yeah i will say a shocking number of my opponents have had thunderstrike dragon oh yeah no, no. i don't know if there's anything you ever take over it really no. <laughs> yeah it's like it must be it's like a boosted rare as far as i can tell yeah if they took the word echo off of it it would still be a first pick card Every yeah, time. I mean, it would, it would just be Mahamodijin, which is, you know, with a bomb and magic. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Okay, we're not doing this segment, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nope, and then we're going to blow through this next segment, which is our seven-win run breakdown, because while we've gotten a lot of contributions this week, the last few weeks, um, and so we have a lot of names to read, and part that was partially because uh, John Holio wasn't able to do enter the list the last couple weeks because uh, Colorado has been on fire, and uh, he lives in Colorado, and so he he lost access to his computer for a little bit. Oh, but uh, but he's back home. He's safe. Good. Uh, his house smells like firewood, but he did manage to enter all the names in this week, but. Because half of these are set nine, half of these are set one, and we're not going to do any breakdowns for set one because it's going away so soon. So all we're going to do is read a whole bunch of names right now for everyone who contributed a list, which we do always appreciate. And it has been, even though we're not talking about it, fun to look at people's seven-win drafts and see just how good Primal is in this format. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So new contributors this week are draft champion Gunner116. I'm glad that uh, having him on the episode bullied him into submitting less. Really appreciate that. And uh, John Avon, Tyler Cheney, subscribing to his channel, also convinced him to send in less. So we appreciate you two taking the time to send in less. As well as our veteran contributors, Abednego, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Bravo Choke, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D-Dubs, FS Forward Sound, Grandar, Hats on Lamps, Humble Eyes, Ip Long No, Jandy, Jed the Hummer, Max Send Scam, Mancio1982, Meadow, Mercurial Blue, Meavers, Ulrich, Parmalee, Patamaro, Piris, Raven Dragon, Shab, Sleffer, Sunblaze, Surf Wizard, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Twin Hex, Vader, Who Does That, and ZS Jostrom35. Whew, that is quite the list. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. yeah, so we're still getting a lot of lists. And like I said, even though we're not breaking them down necessarily, I think it is helpful to look at them in Discord and fun to chat about what's being successful. Yeah, there's been a lot of chatter in the Discord. It's been good. Yeah, I agree. So let's move on to our main topic, which is uh, I have labeled here Games, 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 Starring Hats on Lamps <laughs> and Mercurial Blue. <laughs> well, I guess we uh, we were talking before we started recording about how I think certain types of games appeal to the appeal to people who are, are likely to play Magic or Eternal. Um, like we tend to gravitate towards towards similar things. I've played a lot of very wide breadth of games over the course of my life, so there, I've been interested in almost every type of game at some point. But there's definitely these sort of niche types of games that I have gotten into more than others. So I guess uh, we were, uh, um, I know I know Merck uh, and I have, have similar taste in, in some respects. So uh, I thought we would start by talking about a genre of game that is similar to collectible card games in some ways, uh, like, uh, like Eternal or Magic, um, but also very distinct in other ways, which is the... I guess uh, the deck builder game, or possibly a deck builder roguelike, which is sort of exemplified by games like Slay the Spire and Monster Train, um, and actually quite a few others. But I think those are two of the big marquee versions of it. Yeah, that this is uh, interesting to me because I've played a little bit of Slay the Spire, um, but I have not gotten as into it as some people, like some people really get into Slay the Spire. Yeah, and, it gets some really intense fans. And I haven't gotten into it like really either. I I sort of respect it for having kickstarted a genre, but I actually got into Monster Train much more. And then I've kind of branched out to look at other similar games because there's people doing interesting things with that general format. Okay, can can you explain Monster Train to me? Because I've watched a couple people stream <laughs> Monster Train, and it seems un—it's like totally opaque to me watching a stream. Even though I've played Slay the Spire, I thought it would be like an easy transition. Mm, I mean, it's not exactly the same. It's like kind of like a mixture tower defense and you know card you know deck builder roguelike. It's 
It's like you have to you have like minions that you draw and you have to put them on one of the three floors and the whole idea is that um all the enemies enter from the bottom floor and then after each round they 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 do fighting or whatever and any surviving enemies move up to the next floor and then so you're trying to keep them from getting to the top floor which is your pyre which is basically your life total because like if they get up there then they start fighting your pyre which your pyre also deals damage to enemies like it has like a area effect also hits every enemy in the room but then it's also getting hit by the enemies you, you try to you're basically just putting like minions on the different floors of your train to keep the enemies from getting up to the pyre and then you can cast spells to like interact with the enemies and then Whenever your minions die, they go to the... They, they don't get shuffled back into your deck. So that's also another concept. It's like, so like eventually when you play all your minions, like they will not be in your deck anymore. Unless you have some way of like, I guess, getting them out of like the... I guess the pile or whatever that they go to. I forgot what it was. The, the exhausted pile. Did that, clear, thing, did that simple... clear things up, Patrick? Was I that don't... simple? <laughs> <laughs> it is a hard game to describe. Okay. So do you have a single deck? Yeah, no, you have a single deck and you have like a champion card that's based on um one of the five clans of monsters that you ally that you select at the beginning and then there's also like you also have like an ally clan. So basically it's like it's like two colors of your deck or whatever like basically you because you have two clans. One is your primary clan and one is the ally clan. And your champion comes from the primary clan. And then the roguelike aspect of that is that your champion is also a minion. But you also get to improve your champion at certain points in the game. Like you can choose like specific um, talents for your champion. Or they, like, so they get, depending on how you want to. And you can choose. So that kind of affects how the way you build your deck. Because your deck, you, you might want to do pick different cards if you have like a specific talent on your champion. Okay, and so is your champion a card in your deck? Yeah, the it champion is. is a card in your deck. It always in your opening hand, and it's free to play. Okay. So whereas like your minions will actually cost you mana to play them. Okay, and okay. I think the the important thing that makes the game distinct to me is that on the one hand you're building your deck by adding cards to it but on the other hand you are also modifying those cards you go to shops yeah, where you right. could give your act give your minions upgrades but also your spells upgrades and the appeal of the game for me is those upgrades feel broken like like in slay the spire and a lot of similar games you're making incremental changes like you're adding a little bit of power at a time to your deck and then the power comes from like sort of the the cumulative synergy of the way your cards work together but in monster train you can have say a spell that does one damage five times right it'll do five damage total spread out across all of the enemies on a certain floor but if you enchant that with plus 10 magic power now you're doing 11 damage five times which is dramatically more right. and so it feels like you're almost cheating at the game but then when you get to the higher levels of the game uh the the sheer hit points and power 
of the enemies you're facing makes it clear that you essentially have to cheat in order to stand a chance. And so it feels like you, as the leader of the minions of hell, have to be very tricky in order to overwhelm the uh, the kind of overpowering forces of heaven that are arrayed against you. So it's got a very dramatic feeling to it right down to the game mechanics. Yeah, I mean, that is part of the cool part of the game is, you know, figuring out which upgrades break the cards the most and then, like, also figuring out, like, how you can make, you know, those cool infinite combos. I mean, you can make, com- you can make like, combos that basically draw your entire deck and slay the fire also, but, I mean, it's much easier, I guess, to, you know, come up with broken combos and monster train. You know, it's like, and it's fun when that happens. Like when you, or like when you manage to get like a train floor that has like seven, 140 attack, 120 defense minions on it because you, you know, had some combo of cards that allowed you to stack a floor like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and because the five factions play pretty differently, it feels like there's a lot of possibilities on how to play your deck, because you get to choose two factions and collect cards from both of them, and they all combine in different ways. Yeah, they definitely have, like, different... They, they definitely play out in different ways based on, like, what which factions you end up taking, because, like, some of the factions are, like, more defensive, and then the sub... And then the other ones, like, don't have any healing at all. And you just have to kind of rely on, like, armor, for example, as, like, is your healing. Instead yeah. of, you know, actually getting, like, a real heal card. And in one of the factions, your units are intended to die, and yep. you have spells that can bring them back. But stronger. Mm-hmm. And with no lifespan whatsoever. <laughs> it's it's neat. <laughs> okay, so there are there any other games in this sort of genre that you guys have been playing? I I wish I could speak with a little bit more authority about Slay the Spire. I really only dipped my toes in the water there. But I actually have been playing a game called Pirates Outlaws, which is set up very similarly to Slay the Spire, but it has a pirate theme. You'll be fighting <laughs> other pirates and ghosts of pirates, and really just pirates. <laughs> um, but, uh, and you can be like... Uh, you. You can. There's a lot of character classes to choose from that you unlock over time. It was originally a mobile game, and so you can kind of feel that sometimes because of the way things unlock. But you can also, I, I think you can just purchase it without any micropayments on Steam. That's what I did. Anyway, um, and the the uh, the classes are like uh, like a gunner who mostly has ranged weapons but most of those ranged weapons use up part of your ammunition, and so you need cards that also replenish your ammunition. But if you have a more melee-oriented character, you can only attack the first enemy in front of you, but your cards don't cast ammo, so you don't have to devote part of your deck to replenishing that. So there's some there's some fun little balanced things. I think it's probably not as deep or as highly tuned a game as, uh, as Slay the Spire or Monster Train, but it's got a lot of it's a little bit less it feels uh a little more casual and like you don't have to put quite as much thought into it so it's the game that i play if i'm in the mood for that kind of thing but i i don't want the high stakes of make it, of making a bad decision near the beginning of the game that comes to bite me later on so pirates outlaws is pretty cool and uh 
And then another game that I've played recently is Iris and the Giant, uh, which is sort of an autobiographical story about uh, depression and overcoming the voices in your head that try to keep you from succeeding. But it gives those makes those voices into monsters that you beat the living dickens out of with bow and arrow and sword and spells. <laughs> and is this uh, also a card game? Or it is. It is a card game. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, um, and and the then the cool twist on it is that the cards that you collect um, go away when you use them. You can only use them once ever, but you are constantly collecting new cards from the game board as you make progress. Like you're breaking open stones and collecting treasure chests, and the treasure chest will have a big pile of cards that you can add to your deck. Um, and then, but then whenever you use a weapon. Uh, that card is gone forever. So part of resource management is finding new cards to keep giving you things that you can play. Uh, it's a totally different take on a deck builder because deck builders normally, as part of their core, um, as part of their like core mechanics, have that reshuffling thing, like so that your deck is always like synergy. Uh, but Iris and the Giant more focuses on your overall upgrades. And then trying to collect cards that go with the upgrades. Like, say, if you have an upgrade that lets your lets uh, your arrows hit two monsters at a time, you're going to want to collect more bow and arrow cards. It's, again, a relatively simple game compared to Slay the Spire Monster Train. Uh, but again, I'm not always in the mood for the most complicated, like, high-stakes experience. And it always feels like if I make a bad decision and Slay the Spire... I am I'm doomed, <laughs> but not right away. I'm gonna have a few fights before I I'm dead for sure. Yeah. yeah the Slay the Spire runs. The Slay the Spire runs can really take a long time. I guess that's one of the nice things about the playing Monster Train is because like usually the runs are like finished in like 25 minutes, whereas like a Slay the Spire run can take like two hours. Like an hour and a half, two hours, yeah. Yeah, I think that may have been another one of the reasons why I, I couldn't get into it, is I just don't yeah. have the attention span for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I started off playing Slay the Spire after I watched um, Man and Mouse was streaming it, ironically. I think it was like about a year and a half ago he was streaming it. I was like, oh, that, that looks like a cool game. And then I played it for about like 150 hours. You know, I played a lot of um, Ironclad and some of Silent, and not really much of, like, Defect or Watcher. It's kind of, like, that was about the time when I started moving on to, like, other games and stuff. But, I mean, I really did enjoy the experience of Slay the Spire, just, you know, getting to, you know, figure out what, like, archetypes were, like, good, and then also, like, trying to, um, you know, figure out which cards to, like, take, you know, based on what I needed at the moment. But sometimes I did get a little frustrated with the game because it felt like I was trying, like, early on, like, oh, I got, like, this gold card that's, like, really good with, like, this one archetype, and then I'm not, like, seeing any of the other cards that, like, go with it. I mean, that might just be a general roguelike issue in general, but it felt really bad, I guess, because, again, the, you know, the the runs are, like, so long, you know, like, it's just, like, sometimes it just felt, like, kind of unrewarding to, like, try and slog through, like, the, um, all the way to, like, 
um, the third area or whatever, and it's like not be able to finish it because like the deck didn't come together. Yeah. But and they still had a lot of fun, you know, playing it. You know, when I was really into it, but just after a while, I just couldn't get myself to go back to playing it. So then I started playing um, like Grifflands. Oh sure. Yeah. That's one that I haven't gotten into. Can you talk a little about Grifflands? Yeah, so like Grifflands is like um it kind of plays out more like a role playing game, but you resolve like all the combat and negotiation with um two different decks. So you have a combat deck and a negotiation deck and you have to like get cards for them separately, and you manage the cards separately, and you have to, like, you know, you know, you want to prune your deck. And then you also have um, um, implants, which are basically kind of like, you know, you know, the normal thing, like, we get, like, trinkets or whatever and Slay the Spire and stuff, but it's like, you, you all, there's combat, there's combat implants and negotiation implants, and they have the separate categories and such, and then, um, I guess the core gameplay is that, um, when you are when you get a quest or whatever, there's often like some kind of there's like multiple different ways you could like resolve the quest. Like sometimes like either with combat or with like negotiation or you know, and then some sometimes even with like the rewards, for example, you could choose to do something that like pisses somebody else off, like one of the NPCs off, and then it like hurts you later on like like maybe you get more rewards now but then later on you have like a npc that like doesn't like you and then like they might like interfere with some other combat or negotiation you get into because anybody that like dislikes you and is in an area that you're trying to do something they'll actually get involved in like the 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 fight somehow like they they add something to the fight to make it more difficult and then also like um Killing killing NPCs will mean that you don't have like those drawbacks, but then you also start getting like a bad reputation, and like it actually puts in like these negative card or potentially positive, depending on the way your deck is built, negative or positive cards into your combat or negotiation deck. You know, and that kind of play that that kind of changes the way the um you know how the each run plays out because like, you know, depending on which um, NPCs you encounter and which ones you have to, you know, you have to do stuff you have to, you have to interact with because you can't make every NPC happy because like, that's just how the, how the game is. It forces you, you know, you have to, to, in order to progress, you are going to have to like make some of the NPCs unhappy with you. And then it just changes the storyline a little bit. And then there's also some other like overarching, like, decisions like if you want to go with like a specific faction if you, we want to ally with specific faction because you'll, you'll have to like ally with like this is faction in like a certain area and then also changes like the gameplay it's like if you want to be a law-abiding person that works with like space police or if you want to be like a criminal you know that's like that's a like an example of like when it's like faction and something that also changes like how the you know, the story plays out and such. And I mean, I played, I guess, two of the characters and I think there was like a third, but then I just kind of like stopped playing it. I guess my main issue with Grifflands is that um, the runs actually take even longer than Slay the Spire. Like they, <laughs> take, like, th- they take like three and a half hours to get through it. So yeah. like, 
Yeah, you yeah, got to tell the entire pretty... story of a person's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I can definitely say the game has like a lot has like a lot of replay value. If you, if you consider like the, you know, the difficulty modifiers and the mutators and stuff. I just, I, I just kind of had to stop playing cuz it's taking a lot of time. Is the game finished right now? It was an early access the last time I looked at it. Yeah, I am like I'm not sure if it is i think it might be i guess i'd have to like check and see if it is still like that is still an early access or not like i mean like looking at it i don't think i mean i think it might no it still says early access so yeah it says like i think i don't know then say like when they're going to be finished with it so, so yeah. is this game yeah. is this one of those roguelikes where each run is telling a story, a larger story. Like there's like a story in the background and each run is informing that larger story or is each run. Well, I mean, there's a like a specific, plot. there's a specific plot that's like associated with the characters. Right. So, uh, I mean, I guess it, 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 I don't think it changed. Like, I guess the overall thing is like the same it's like you always have like the same final boss or whatever but it just changes how you get to the final boss okay what and what allies you have at that point because that's also another thing in Grifland is that you can um you can hire like npcs to like help you out in like combats most of them only stick around for like one combat but then like if you get like a pet for example it'll stick around with you until it dies So when you, like how you're describing of upsetting an NPC or whatever, that doesn't affect subsequent runs. No, no, it gets all reset in the next one. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's well, so it's it's almost like like a parallel dimension kind of a thing where it's like it could have happened this way, but yeah. the next time you play, it could have happened this way. Yeah. Whereas something like Hades, which we'll probably talk a little, about a little bit later, yeah. the death and rebirth and sort of yeah. uh, meta uh, development that the that your character goes through are all part of one continuous story. Right. Yeah, Griffland and Monster Train were the main ones that I played. Like the other besides Slay the Fire, we're talking about like deck building roguelikes. So we were saying before uh, that that the appeal, like we're saying the word roguelike a lot, a lot. Yeah. maybe we should say what we mean. I think uh, it basically just means that you, you, it's a game uh, where you, where you, instead of having a progression over the course of the entire time you, that you play the game, you do runs where you start mm-hmm. out with very few resources, build up your resources through uh collecting cards purging cards from your deck in the case of the games that we're talking about um reach some sort of a finale a final boss or something and then you've either won or you get killed and and uh that run is over and most of the progress that you made is done and a lot of these games have additional stuff that you unlock like monster train you unlock new factions you unlock new cards um after your run whether you win or lose um but the run is sort of self-contained to some degree, and I th- and and we were saying, uh, and I and I'd never thought about this before, but I totally agree with it that uh, 
that the appeal of that of having your of having a run where you build up a character and then it's it's done is a lot like the appeal of draft in eternal where you start out with nothing you build your character or your deck you have a certain number of combats with it and then whether you won or lost that time your time with that specific uh, group of cards that character that you build is over um, and I think that's absolutely why I'm attracted to draft in eternal and not the other formats that much not constructed is because I really enjoy having that freshness of a new of a new thing to play and then having the game tell me that's it <laughs> you've had that time with that deck and now it's over but isn't it great that you get to have to feel that freshness the next time you play? Yeah. Yeah, it's like new experiences. You don't get like burned out on it. Like if you were to say, for example, play uh, 50 games of Yetis or something like that on Lather, yeah. you're like, oh, great, more Yetis and stuff. But yeah. You know what I'm I, saying I, is, it's, it's good just getting to be able to try out like different things and then have the time limit be, you know, saying it's, it's, it's forced by the system. It's like, oh, you can only play this many games, you know, win or lose, and then, and then you need to move on to the next experience. Yeah, yeah. I I know this fad has sort of passed a little bit, but did either of you play the um, auto chess battler games or get into those at all? I didn't. Um, I certainly didn't play actual auto chess. When Hearthstone uh, started their mode that was based on auto chess, I played a little bit of that, enough to kind of get an idea of what it was. Um, and then it didn't hold on to me somehow. But I see the appeal of it because it is very similar. Um, like you do you, like develop an army and sort of manage your resources to try to optimize that army. And... I guess without the actual playing of the game part, <laughs> that's the yeah. that's why I didn't like yeah. really get into it because that takes away a big chunk of the fun for me is to actually move your little pieces around at some point. And Auto Chess doesn't let you do that. It's just like you the entire the entire game is the prep work for the battle, and then the battle does itself. Actually, I I did play some out of uh, Dota Underlords when it came out, like about ten hours or so. Like I was kind of into it, but then I could see how you know, like watching other people like stream it, I could see how it would get like kind of repetitive and stuff. And I think the thing that actually really turned me off from Dota Underlords was how many balance changes they kept making when it was really active, like, they kept making balance changes, like, every three days or four days, and, like, I don't know what's, like, good anymore, because they keep changing, like, they made this character really good, now they're terrible now, and then this other character that was terrible is, like, new meta, and I just couldn't keep up with it, you know, and, like, I guess that's, like, why I didn't really get involved in, like, TFT or, you know, Hearthstone Battleground either, it's, like, I didn't really want to try and invest a lot of time in like these new auto battlers that I thought you know there's going to be a lot of balance changes in there and it's just too much really for me to like handle at the time but I, I did really like the concept of auto battlers because I, I actually enjoy the drafting portion of of drafts more than the gameplay it's not because I don't like 
figuring out like the puzzles, but it's just sometimes like I think that like I just enjoy like the actual card picking. It feels like I get for me, it's just I I feel I like that puzzle more than like you know the puzzle that's in front of me, like the opponents you know playing their cards and I have to play cards and stuff. Yeah, I think the, the draft part appeals to me more as well, but I do enjoy the the actual games if the format is built in a way where there's interesting decisions to yeah. make during the games, because some formats are better for that than others. So can you explain to me the basic concept of uh, Auto Battler? I think Mercuria might be able to do that better than me. Yeah, so like in Dota Underlords, um, you get like... The- like, you start off with, like, three choices, like, these three characters, which are based off of, like, Dota heroes. And then you pick one, and that's, like, your first hero, and then it sets you off into some auto-battler. I think it used to be that they had, like, a lot of NPC rounds or whatever, or creep rounds, they used to call it, you know, because it was, like, in Dota, they had, like, creeps and stuff, and then, like, your... um guys would like fight them and you get like a small prize at the end usually like some amount of gold and then like sometimes it's like a random like trinket or whatever and then like and then you would get like another choice of like a a you know a mini or a champion or whatever to put on your to add to your army and then um like you would get you would get experience also as you battled and you had like you could spend gold to buy experience or spend gold to pay for a champion, for example, or pay gold to re-roll the champions that are being offered to you. Like, if you don't like any of them, you can say, like, I will pay two gold to, like, re-roll this round and, like, choose, like, a different champion. And um, experience, mostly it... um, limits like how many champions you can have because you have to go, you have to have be i think like level 10 i think to have like the most have the maximum number of champions on your team and then the whole idea is that um you have to like balance out um spending money on champion because the champions you don't use you can also put them on the bench like in case you um don't want to use that champion right now but maybe you get like some other champion that synergize with that champion and then, um, like, specifically in Dota Underlords, you can't have, like, having two of the same name champion, like, if they have the same name or whatever, like, they don't contribute anything to their tribal bonus. But, so there's, like, there's these, like, tribal bonuses you're trying to, like, meet also. Like, so you might want to get, like, like, for example, like, Demon, for example, or, like, um, Warrior was, like, also, like, a tribe. And then, and then, like, a demon was kind of like an anti-tribe, if I remember correctly, because it actually punished you for having more than one demon on your battlefield. But, like, yeah, like, warrior or, like, mage or, sample, or example, or, like, assassin, that was also, like, a tribe slash group that you, you would try to get um, more of those things in your, in, so, so you get, like, the tribal bonus and such, you know, for having, like, four or six, six individual Min or champions from like that tribe, and then uh, there was also like the meta game. Like you could see what other people were putting into their armies, and then you could try to like hate draft them because all the the champions came out of the same pool. Mm-hmm. So like if you took all of like 
this one champion, nobody else could get it. Because, like, there were also, like, um, there were, like, star ratings on the champions, also, like, one through five. And, like, there were lots of, like, the one-star champion, but, like, very few of, like, the five-star champions. And then, like, you just, like, if you saw, like, the person that you were competing with the most was, like, trying to build towards a specific tribe and you just had, like, excess gold, you could just start hate-drafting them. And so, assuming you had, like, you know, room on your bench to hate-draft them. And then, also, the other thing is, like, if you got, like, three copies of a of the same unit, they upgraded to, like, their more powerful level. And then, if you got three copies of, like, a level 2 unit, then you could combine them to make a level 1, one copy of a level 3. So, like, basically... You, you take three level one units to make a level two, and then three level two units to make a level three, one level three. So you, if you got like nine copies of like a single unit, you, you get one level three of that same unit. And that, that was also like an important thing to consider which, which champions you want to try and get like a level three of that champion and such. So the actual combat. Uh, yeah. You don't have any input, right? You make all of your decisions in between fights. You position your army that you've developed, and then they kind of attack the other army randomly until one I side mean, is dead. There's a little bit, like, you can, at least in Dota Underlords, you can unequip items and move items around on your champions. Because like, you can actually... I don't know if you can actually see, like, your next opponent, but, like, often you can sort of extra you can kind of guess who your next opponent is going to be based on like i guess everybody's current life total or whatever because like, i think there's like a there's some logic that like calculates who is likely to be facing each other and then also on the board itself you can place minions in, or champions in different locations on the board sure like, so you want to put so you want to put like your caster types like usually in the back but then beware of like you know potentially like if you're like your the opposing army has like assassins they might like pour backs so you might need to put like a tank back there also just to make sure your casters don't get like destroyed by assassins that makes sense but you can't do any yeah. of that while the combat is no happening, no it's, it's all before yeah it's all yeah. planning that happens before the battle okay yeah and i think that's the appeal of it like uh, is that is that you don't have to make snap decisions and you don't have yeah. to outplay your opponent. All of the entire yeah. game is about planning. I can right. see why, if you got into that, then it would be very addictive. Yeah. Um, I watched Brian Kibler play a lot of games of Hearthstone Battlegrounds because he's an entertaining person to watch and he was releasing YouTube videos about it. And it was interesting seeing him make decisions. Uh, I should say that Hearthstone Battlegrounds is structured a lot like what you just described, except with yeah. Hearthstone cards. Like, yeah. down to, like, if you collect three of a particular minion, you can combine them. And uh, and then I think you 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 get a, a hero that sort of gives you a power throughout your run at the very beginning, and that dictates a lot of what you're going to do. Like, if you have somebody yeah. with a demon theme, you're going to be playing demons. Um, but anyway, uh, but Kibler would make decision a lot of decisions where he was selling cards for gold right. and buying other cards and sort of massaging his deck into shape as he went that I didn't really realize when I was dipping my toe yeah. into the water. It yeah. was really fascinating to watch somebody who was an expert at it pull wins 
out of cards that probably not everyone would have been able to. So right. I finally saw it as like a genuine strategy game rather yeah. than just sort of a an incremental numbers kind of like you kind of got to get lucky to win sort of thing. It was clear from the way he played that he was going to win a lot more than other people. Yeah. No, there's definitely some micromanagement involved like in Dota Underlords and yeah, Hearthstone. Like you have to manage your economy because like at least in Dota Underlords you used to get like interest based on the amount of money that you started around with or whatever so like if you like just that that was in, that was additional to any money that you get for like winning around but like the interest is just like you know 10 percent of whatever your total is up to a maximum of like five gold or whatever like total so it's like there was definitely sometimes you need to consider like whether you want to make your army weaker but just try to work on building interests or if you just want to go all in because you think you're going to get like eliminated and so if you want to spend the money but you can't you have to like make those decisions kind of like in advance because if you get like too low on health then you know spending a bunch of money might not like save you at that point you know yeah. you also have to like cons there's also like a decent amount of micro because there's something to like consider like when you like, there's actually some timing involved, like, when you want to consider, you know, re-rolling the thing. Like, you, like, even in the middle of the battle, sometimes you might want to, like, change the timing in which you, like, re-roll, like, minions, because, like, maybe, or, like, hold the minions. Like, you can also hold the minions, and then also, like, you... So, so there's a little bit of timing involved there, because I think interest is always calculated at the beginning of the round. So, like, sometimes you actually want to make, like, your shop purchases in middle of the combat to like ensure that you have a higher higher interest rate and then you also still need to like kind of like look at what your opponents are doing at the same time so there there is some amount of like micromanagement that you need to do even like even though it's not just like sit and watch a battle you have to like kind of you know still make some decisions that will like help you later on like in middle of you know what well, even while the battle is going on you need to just kind of micromanage like a few different things yeah, even if so you can't affect the battle directly, yeah. you're you're yeah. planning for your future. Yeah, yeah. I I got into deck building through um through a game called Ascension, which is right. which is designed as a two player. I guess you could probably play it in a group, but um, it's a two player like physical card game that there is a digital version of uh, where you where you build a deck out of. Uh, out of cards that come from a central bank, and this is sort of a common, um, this is sort of a common format for games like this. But they're not really popular as video games because there's not a whole lot you can do with it digitally. But yeah. they're they're popular physical games. There's there's Star Realms, there's Ascension, there's like a, a Marvel and a DC deck yeah. building game. There's, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a couple. You know, Direwolf Digital has. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a version of yeah, Eternal yeah. that is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 And there's Clank, there's their new Dune game. Or yeah. I played like the, I played Dominion and also um Seven Wonders. This is also like, you know, a drafting game. They're, they're both like drafting games like, or deck building games. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I played a lot of Dominion. I actually always liked Dominion a lot more than Ascension yeah. and the Ascension style games because I liked the fixed nature. I always like, <laughs> um, 
with Ascension, I always felt like because you were when you bought a card from the from the common pool, a new card would flip up at random, and it always felt that was too luck based. You know, you could just right. like flip up a the perfect card for your opponent, and you really had no way to like know or respond to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem with Ascension and Star Realms and some other games like that, um, is that it does feel like there's a lot of luck to it, but also it feels like you're kind of playing solitaire. Like, there's not a lot that you can do to respond to what your opponent's doing. There's a few things sometimes that you can, like, if you see that your opponent is developing a lot of defense, usually you can develop a very aggressive deck to try to kill them before their defensive cards start bringing them a lot of value, that kind of thing. But it's limited, because essentially you're playing two games of Solitaire, and then whoever plays the best game of Solitaire wins. That's uh, it's that's a downside to it. But a lot of games have tried to fix that, too. It's just that I don't have a lot of people to play physical games with, right. so I don't. I have completely lost track of the of of the technology that has gone into making physical deck building games better and better (laughs) Uh, i haven't even i haven't even played the eternal card game even though i bought it with anyone yet yeah no i actually got to play like the eternal card game like i think last year actually with um the misplay what was it specifically the misplay it was a friends of the misplay podcast and stuff that was over there when they were recording a podcast and such and i mean i was like oh i recognize these cards wait they don't do exactly what i what i thought they would do because obviously they have to change the rules to make it like work in the context of the game but i mean like yeah at least when i was looking at that game it's, it's, it's like they simplify a lot of things and make it like faster like you can only attack the person on your left for example because it's like a four-player game yeah. but you can only attack the person on your left stuff so like i guess that makes it faster but i mean i I didn't really play enough of that you know i I, most of my experience i guess with physical deck building games would be like dominion like just like the base set mostly you know i did i think and also whatever the curse set was i think that might have been the the set that had all the the minus one cards in it and then there's like because that was kind of like a it was kind of like an interesting mechanic, but it was also kind of annoying because it makes like your deck really big, like all having all these curses in it. It's like, oh, do I want to spend cards to like get rid of the curses, or do I just want to keep trying to you know work towards my game plan and stuff? But I mean, I, I felt like Dominion was definitely like an interesting game, even though some of the games did kind of feel like solitaire because you could just make like some crazy combo where you draft your where you can draw your entire deck in like one turn and stuff, yeah. you know, and get a whole bunch of points or whatever, not points, but like, you know, buy a bu- get a bunch of gold and stuff. It's like, yeah. Well, I never played Dominion. Uh, so I, I actually kind of feel like I missed out a little bit because that is sort of, that does sort of seem to be the grandfather of the this kind of game. But, um, you know, if I ever have, uh, if I ever have a real life physical gaming friend yeah. again, then I'll definitely give it a shot. I can't play competitive games with my girlfriend. It doesn't go well. Yeah. We have yeah. to be on the same side. We have to. We play cooperative games. Okay, we yeah. enjoy those. Yeah. 
We yeah. don't play competitive games. We learned that right. real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like my family and Settlers of Catan because they take it really seriously. Yeah. Like, like they'll just, like, actually, like, remember. Like, my sister would be like, <laughs> I remember you didn't trade me or last week. And, like, uh, no. really? Like, oh, okay. no. Not Catan yeah. grudges. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's a good thing the thief is a non-player character. Yeah. Uh, I haven't played Catan in a while. <laughs> I had a Catan group. That was great. That was a lot of fun. That was years ago, though. Um, you want to you want to talk about Hades? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Hades. You know, I mean, I I just started playing it. I guess I had about twenty runs in it so far. I've had about fifty runs, and I'm taking a break from it. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I finished the main story and I'm taking a break now. Um, it does not end when you finish the main story. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't played it, let me just briefly explain what Hades is. It is an action game. Uh, it is a roguelike, which means that you you do runs. You play as the son of Hades who is trying to escape the underworld. And uh, that means that you have to fight your way through several levels of uh, of monsters um, while receiving boons from the Greek gods, such as Zeus, Aphrodite, Hermes, Dionysus, uh, Artemis, and so on. And, uh, and those boons will affect what your character is like and what your main powers are during the run. You also get to choose from among several weapons at the beginning, like uh, playing with a shield is very different than playing with what is essentially a machine gun. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, so, and you can have a sword, you can have a spear, a bow and arrow. Uh, so that's, uh, your main weapon will will dictate sort of like your, your basic combat strategy, but then boons can very much affect how you play with that weapon. Like if you have a bow and arrow uh, and Zeus uh, bestows a boon on you that causes your bow and arrow to have a chain lightning effect so each time you shoot you strike three people with lightning uh mm -hmm. that's gonna cause you to play a little differently than if you get a boon uh that, that makes your your dash more powerful and causes it to damage people around you because then you're going to be playing a lot more close-up combat um even though you've got a bow and arrow mm -hmm. so over the course of a run you'll receive several boons and make them more powerful uh, so it every time you play, it feels like you're developing a new character to fight off the forces of Hades with. Uh, I think that's a pretty good summary. What's your yeah. experience been like uh, with oh. the game like? Oh, I mean, I was playing it, and I was like, I'm not really great at like action games. You know, I tend to prefer to play like slower paced things, like you know, role playing games or whatever, mm -hmm. like MMOs. But you know, like, I mean, when I started playing, it's like, oh, this is really punishing because i don't know like any of like the enemy move sets and stuff i don't really know how like the boons really interact with each other but then like the more i started playing it, it's like oh you know i'm starting to like figure out like what has like synergy and then also like like you were saying like the more you play it the more you build up things like because like darkness or whatever is like the main way that you like improve your character outside of like the runs and yeah stuff, and in then, between the runs you go to yeah. your room and there's a big mirror on the wall yeah. and if you pay it darkness it will give you permanent upgrades 
like you'll do more damage if you attack foes from behind and that's like a yeah. permanent upgrade yeah. yeah yeah so like that's one of the and also like getting like the titan blood to like upgrade weapons permanently also or unlock new like aspects which is kind of like styles for like weapons like you can change like the sword to be like more of a caster oriented weapon you know because like that's part of the thing is like you can like you have like this cast or whatever like which is like a kind of like a spell that's like limited by the gem the gems that you have or whatever but yeah regenerate after you kill the enemies and stuff and get your gem back Casting is one of the yeah. is one of the really unique aspects of the game because yeah. uh, I've played a lot of games like this. I really love them. These sort of action roguelikes, so like Rogue Legacy and uh, Enter the Gungeon and Dead Cells and all of this sort of thing. I really like them, um, but I haven't seen anything quite like the cast because right. ca- like you get you have a diamond and yes, it's a long distance spell and it's a homing spell at its heart. Like that, it's those <laughs> things. Of course, the gods can. Uh, alter it to be other things but Mm -hmm. then it's also a physical crystal that stays where you cast it it'll be stuck in an enemy and there's boons that can cause that stuck crystal to unstick sooner or do damage when it unsticks or just stay on the battlefield and attract lightning blasts periodically or like a lot of other things and so it feels like a very versatile sort of aspect of your character that can like fundamentally change what you're doing a lot of my early wins like where i actually got all the way through the game um were because my cast was absurdly powerful by the end and i didn't have to engage anyone in close-up combat yeah yeah no I, i like the game because it just has it really allows you to do like different play styles like like you know you can focus on your casting or you know if you have like the bow or gun like you could modify like or like the bow for example you could like modify the special to have like homing or whatever as opposed to like a spread yeah oh you have a question i i guess i was wondering so why do you think this game would appeal to people who like card games like eternal i think that the the boon system uh is very similar to drafting in a lot of ways you get us. Uh, it's it's limited in a in a in a way because you will get a choice between three boons at a time. But then the process of of uh, of figuring out like which boons go well with each other, and like every time you uh, defeat a room full of enemies, you'll you'll get between like one and three exits, and the exits will be marked with the kind of power up that you're going to get. Uh, if you go through that exit and into the next room. And uh, sometimes it'll be another boon from a god. Sometimes it'll be a power up to the boons that you already have. Sometimes it will be more health, uh, that kind of thing. And so making those decisions after each intense action section uh, feels a lot like drafting, honestly, mm-hmm. where you're choosing the next path um, or you're choosing the next like uh, piece of the puzzle to make your character strong enough to make it all the way through and uh, beat the final boss at the end. Um, and so if you're somebody like me who likes action games but also likes building up a character from scratch the way that you do when you're drafting, um, then I, I, I don't think it's that different. I think if you're not 
comfortable playing uh, action games, then Hades is going to have a bit of a wall because it is super hard. <laughs> it is a super punishing game sometimes. But they did thoughtfully include a mode that a lot of people have been saying good things about called God Mode. Uh, where you immediately get a, a big buff to your defense so you don't die as easily. And the more you are defeated, the higher that bonus grows. And so the more you struggle with the game, the easier the game will become. Yeah. But gradually, over time, mm -hmm. you're not just choosing easy mode and now the game's easy. The game adjusts to your skill level over time. Um, and that the reason why they included that is because the story is incredibly, uh, I, I mean, there's a huge amount of effort that they put into the story. There's all of these characters, all the Greek gods, all the underworld gods, and they all have relationships with each other that develop over the course of the game. Um, and I think they wanted people to be able to experience that story, even if they weren't like super like Twitch focused action gamers um and so i i think hades more than a lot of the other roguelike games that uh i've played certainly more than something like dead cells certainly more than something like rogue legacy or spelunky uh is friendly towards people who just want to play a story and kind of feel like a badass as well um and then also kind of solve that puzzle of like hey how can i create a really great character given a few random choices along my road. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do appreciate like the fact that they added like the god mode because it starts out at like twenty percent, and then like it, like you said, it scales up with each death all the way up to like a maximum of like eighty percent. So it's not like it makes it instant win or whatever, but then it, like it's sort of just like a small benefit, and then you know if you still struggling with the game then you know it becomes more of a benefit but yeah i think the game like is really excellently designed in that way just because there are so many like conversations like it feels like there's you know there's like there's like a hundred hours of conversation and the there's game. an insane like, amount of voice like, acting yeah everything yeah. is voice acted in yeah, the game. i know, I know. <laughs> I know, just all the character interactions, like, between the character, like, all the different gods, like, have, you know, so many varying interactions and stuff, it's just, like, like, I don't think I've, like, even in, like, the 20 runs I've done so far, I haven't heard anything get, like, repeated, like, any Yeah, it goes much, much, it goes yeah. much, much longer yeah. than that. Yeah. Because you have to fight the same bosses yeah. uh, each time you go through the game, not exactly the same bosses, but you yeah. will fight the same ones yeah. over and over, yeah. they have a lot of introductions you know and they will have and they will react to other things you've done on the run yeah. like the like the furies will know that you've got a boon from a particular god and comment on it before they fight you yeah. uh it's there's there's so many little details like that that were really unnecessary but they right. make the game delightful yeah yeah no i can tell that they really wanted to like encourage people to you know play the game like you know, 50 times or 100 times so they could, you know, actually experience all the story. Because like you said, you have to you have to beat the game like 10 times or more, like really fully understand everything. Yeah. I think another thing that appeals to, that might appeal to both card gamers, that might appeal about something like Hades to card, card game players 
is that the gameplay does take place in chunks, like discrete chunks. Like I can stop playing Hades for weeks and then come back to it. Lost anything. You know, I can start a new run and I'm basically, uh, I'll basically understand how to play again. It's a little more complex than that, but I can, I can do it. Whereas if I'm playing something like the last of us and I'm, Mm. you know, 15 hours in, I can't just stop playing and then start playing again. I will not know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, I so understand that. I'm like feeling. lock. I'm like locked into oh. the Last of Us Part Two right now because if I stop playing, I know I'm not going to start again. So yeah. I have to finish the story, however long it ends up being, <laughs> or else quit forever. Essentially, right. yeah. yeah, I had that same issue with like really long role playing games. Like when I was trying to finish. Well, I guess Deus Ex isn't really a role-playing game. Like, let's try to replay. Um, I was trying to finally finish um, Deus Ex Human Revolution, like, a couple of years ago after, like, not getting around to it. And then, like, I'm going to play it, and then I play it all the way to, like, yeah, like, three-fourths away the story. And then, like, and I had to, like, put it down for, like, a week. And then, like, wait, I don't want to play this game anymore. Yeah. I forgot and- what was going on. And, like, with Deus Ex, like, you do, yeah. to a certain degree, yeah. uh, you build a character through your skill choices. Yeah, yeah. And so if you put it down for a week and then came back to it, you would have to, like, look... You would have to, like, micro-examine your character just to yeah. figure out what you've right. done. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a... Certainly, uh, it makes sense to me to get involved with a big, long, story-driven game, Uh but it definitely, as I've gotten older, is less appealing to me because I want to be able to quit a game whenever I whenever I feel like it. And a lot of games are designed so that you can't really do that. Um, and so, it, it, like the games like Hades that are that are built around the idea of uh, of 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 starting over um, makes sense to me now because I have smaller chunks of time with, with yeah. in, during which I play games than I used to. Yeah. You know, Hades is, has like just the perfect amount of time to like play each run because it's like 30 to 50 minutes or whatever, depending on like yeah. what, how much experience you have with the game. And it's like, that's like kind of like the perfect amount of time where you feel like you can invest the time into playing it, but not feel like, you know, it's like a big ordeal to try and finish it and it's just it's really easy yeah it's just really easy to like pick the game back up you know the next day it's like oh you know i'm really excited about you know doing trying this out instead you know you don't feel like kind of like it's a slog or something or it's like a chore it's actually just enjoyable to like you know unlock things in the game yeah yeah it, you hardly ever go through a run without making some kind of advancement, neither the plot or like the darkness that you've accumulated or something um and it also if you do get hardcore into the game, it will reward you for that like there's yeah. no limit to how hard you can make the game essentially like yeah after, yeah, then, yeah after you beat it the first time, it unlocks a mode where you can uh, where you can make certain aspects of the games harder in order to get greater mm-hmm. rewards yeah. and i don't like you can make it unbelievably difficult uh if you want to show off on twitch how good you are at the game or you just want those rewards or whatever it is so it rewards you for being a hardcore action gamer but it also rewards you for playing it more casually so it kind of like solved 
it kind of solved roguelikes. I think yeah. that's why it became the game of the moment that it is, is that it solved all of the major problems that roguelikes had and just said, this is, it. This is how you do it. And I imagine we're going to see a million clones uh, with different plot lines of it now. Yeah, I think like Hades is probably like the game of the year, just because of how much it's really you know revolutionized the genre. Yeah, it's got a huge amount of appeal across. Like I've I've seen articles in like uh, from from sources that aren't necessarily specifically gaming focused that claim Hades does things that it didn't do, like that it. Like that it's the first game oh, of its right, yeah. genre, you know, like they don't know yeah. because they don't play a lot of games, but this got on their radar and they're like, oh, this is an amazing way to make a game. And it's like it did actually build on the work of a lot of other yes, game creators yes. and yeah. refined all that stuff. But it did it so well that it kind of broke the entire genre through the mainstream in a way that I don't think ever happened before. I think Dead Cells came the closest proper, probably. But Dead Cells and, and Hades feel very similar to play, so I'm not surprised that a game that like Dead Cells, but that adds a whole bunch of story, uh, would be the one that really broke out. Yeah. Because Dead Cells f- does not have a good story. <laughs> it's a terrific, fun game, but it's not... You don't play it because the story is compelling. <laughs> you play it because you want to get better at it, and that's it. Well, I think uh, speaking of breakout games, this kind of leads me to asking about Among Us and whether you guys have played any Among Us. I have not. No, Um, I haven't played any Among Us either. Like, I know people who really enjoy it. I just, I don't know. I guess I just don't enjoy that kind of, like, social dynamic. You know, I don't know. It's a hidden it's essentially a hidden role game, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I I can't um I've played a few hidden role games in in person and they make me so anxious. <laughs> yeah, that, I would say that's exactly the same issue I have. Like, uh like yeah. I can't I could not get through a game of Secret Hitler without having ne- nearly a mental breakdown. I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's kind of interesting that you say that, Hats, because um, what I was kind of thinking is, like, games like Hades and Slay the Spire, or Slay the Spire and the Autobattlers that we were talking about, sort of all scratch this sort of drafting and new experience itch. While I think, like, a game like Among Us has been also very popular in, like, sort of card gaming circles. Yeah. Like, there's a whole bunch of Magic players that are yeah. now streaming and playing a lot of Among Us. And even a few Eternals, you know, like yeah. Um, yeah, Batteries has been yeah, streaming. Yeah, doing a lot of Among Us now. And, and it felt like Among Us sort of scratched the almost like playing the card game Mm. aspect where, you know, you're like bluffing and you're like trying to figure Mm. out what your opponent's thinking. And it has sort of like that, the playing aspect of a card game um, sort of aspect to it that I think really appeals to certain um, card game players. While a lot of these like roguelike style games sort of scratch that, sort of 
trying to build a deck or strategy from these like random yeah. pieces, like the drafting aspect. And yeah, I know I, you, yeah. you do we'll like the that. drafting aspect, but you also are, you know, think very deeply about the gameplay and how to sort of one up and sort of outwit your opponent, which is sort of like, from my perspective, having not played among us, but like watched a bunch of streams and, and just like, it's sort of, you know, I don't know. It seems like it could appeal to that aspect of what you like about card games too. I haven't tried Among Us, and so I can't possibly say whether I would enjoy it or not. I will probably have to at some point. Uh, it's it's such an insane breakout success that it sort of feels like something I should at least play a couple of times just to just to know what's going on. I find the user interface repulsive, so it's going to be a hard sell for me <laughs> it, it looks so confusing and garbled to me but i'm sure i can decipher it uh i know kids are playing it it's like the like there's certain games that everyone plays like minecraft all kids were playing minecraft all kids were playing fortnite among us is like that this is what i've heard so i i sort of feel like just uh for just like the cultural literacy of video games i'm gonna have to play among us at some point for sure uh but yeah the the way it just looks on its face is is a really hard wall for me to climb because it looks like a it looks like a um a morpiga or whatever um a massively multiplayer or whatever i'm a morpiga you know what i'm talking about it's yeah. got the big chat thing and it's got sort of like it's very sort of utilitarian you know like the sprites aren't attractive they're just there to serve a function and stuff and it's I, I like a game to feel like a more whole product, but there's got to be something going on with that game that's incredibly appealing. Because like you said, yeah, people are playing it and liking it. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of the user interface thing is that it started as a mobile game. Yeah. yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, you can't. It's true. You can You can play it on mobile still. Yeah. Is it better on mobile? Like, is it sort of designed for... Um, for touchscreens, or am I thinking I of a different think, game? I don't think it's better or worse for mobile. I think there's so little in your like the interface is like the least important part of the game that it doesn't really matter whether you're playing on mobile or playing on a PC because like that's actually like of such small importance. You know, that's just like a facade for the hidden role element of the game, which comes through just the talking and trying to like problem solve and figure out and bluff, you know? Yeah. So I think the social aspect of it would give me anxiety, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I haven't even watched a stream about it yet. It's just sort of, it was just sort of bad timing for a major new game to come out where like, I just didn't want to put the time into figuring it out but um do you have to buy it is it a free i think it's like five dollars i think oh well that probably helped it become popular yeah, sure yeah well what's interesting is it's free on mobile oh but yeah then, yeah but then on steam it's five dollars yeah that happens a lot but um they take out the microtransactions and then they charge you some nominal fee fee on steam yeah yeah but yeah, I, I do. I have not played a ton of these social deduction games. You know, like we have 
um, One Night Ultimate Werewolf that I've played with friends a little bit and stuff. But yeah, I do enjoy watching like the employees of Polygon play One Night Ultimate Werewolf with each other. <laughs> There's a video of that and it's real fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, I I know it's not for everyone. I actually really do enjoy watching some Among Us streams. It's like pretty fascinating. To yeah, see. no, I mean, just watching it, I can tell, like, some people are like, I know that person's an imposter because they killed me last round, they had to be an imposter again. And so I'm just like, it's kind of funny just seeing how the kind of social dynamics play out. Like, you kind of get a feeling for, like, who's who's generally trustworthy and who's generally, like, shady. And then I guess sometimes people, like, really surprise you too, right? That's what makes it so fun. I have that same social anxiety, so I kind of like want to play the game even to like test myself, but like I'm gonna probably be very uncomfortable through through the whole process. I think if I were streaming regularly, I'd give it a try. Um, and like once I get settled uh, after the big move and all that, maybe i'll I'll get back into streaming and then I'll try playing some of these some of these sort of streaming popular games like Fall Guys and, and Among Us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, there will be something else that is the game to play at that point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Fall Guys was it until Among Us came around, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, Fall Guys is still pretty popular, but not quite what it was with Among Us. I mean, I think, but it's, yeah. I mean, a, a new game always does come around, but, you know, I do think that certain games or certain genres sort of like catch the cultural zeitgeist and then become popular because there is just like a core of like a fundamental appealing aspect of it, you know, sort of like what we we're talking about. There's like a roguelike and then there's all these spin-offs, but it's because there's like a core idea of the game. And I yeah. think among us, there hadn't really been a game that had, resonated with people yet in that genre but now that people realize that it is a genre and it's like a fun genre like i think there are going to be more and more games like that i mean i've seen people streaming a town of salem before but i guess the problem with that game is like there's nothing to do once you die right in that game and then also like you know there's really not much else to do besides like the meetings and whatever so i guess it's just it's yeah. a nighttime activity, but I mean, maybe that's all they really need to do was to revitalize that genre, was to add in like little tasks for people to like busy themselves with, and then also add in something for people to do when they die. Yeah. Yeah. What's fascinating about it, though, is like Among Us has been on mobile for over two years. Yeah, now. I know. It's been out for a long time, and I think it only blew up when like X. QC or whatever that streamer's name is, I don't know if I, I pronounced it correctly, but when they streamed it, then it suddenly blew up because everybody was like trying it and then talking about it on social media. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think we, I, I think those two genres uh, kind of cleared up all the games that were like tangentially related to card games. Um, either in drafting and style or sort of the deduction and strategy element of playing. But do you guys have any recommendations of just sort of not related, but 
games yeah, that you enjoy? I actually do, come to think of it. Uh, there's a game called There Is No Game, uh, <laughs> colon, Wrong Dimension, uh, which is a real gem. Uh, it's So there, it's a sequel to, uh, I think, a game that came out of a game jam, and it was uh, the concept was basically that uh, there was a narrator who you are interacting with for the whole game, and he claims that there's no game to play. Mm-hmm. Like, he covers up the title with, uh-huh. like, a metal plate. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, he, he, like, puts physical barriers in between you and pressing the play button. Um, and then you kind of break the interface, like, break off a piece of the... of Like, break off a letter, like a T, and then use it as a screwdriver to unscrew the plate that's been put over the play button, that kind of thing, uh, in order to play the game that the narrator insists does not exist. So it was a short game. It was like five minutes long or something. So There Is No Game Wrong Dimension is a massive expansion on that game. You go from, you you visit various game genres. Uh, there's sort of a bad guy that you have to battle. There's, uh, it's, it's essentially like, uh, it's essentially a point and click puzzle adventure game. Like, uh, you know, you um, you follow a storyline by solving environmental puzzles. Uh, but the difference between that and a lot of similar games is that this one is incredibly clever. <laughs> like every challenge that it presents you with is fair, but requires you to think outside of the box in clever ways. And then it's doing all kinds of fun riffs on popular genres like the old LucasArts point-and-click adventures that it's building on. It, like, recreates one, but then lets you tinker with the way it works. It, there's a there's a, a Legend of Zelda game that you have to have mess with. There's other surprises. Talking about the game spoils it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the coolest, weirdest little gems that I've just randomly played. And because I only played it because it's not really a genre that I'm into, but the reviews on Steam are overwhelmingly positive. And there's only a handful of games that have overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam that aren't free. So I thought, well, there's probably something special about it. And in fact, there is. It's super good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there is no game wrong dimension. The voice work is weird because the main the it was made by one guy and he does uh most of the voices as well and he has a very strong french accent and a very unique way of reading lines and so you it takes a little getting used to but then you kind of grow to love the guy over the course of the game (laughs) yeah that's mine it's real easy yeah i mean game i've been playing recently is like genshin impact oh i've heard of that one yeah yeah, it's like a kind of Breath of the Wildish type game. It, it, I mean, I guess it does have some gotcha elements. Like, I mean, I guess there's some incentive to make you spend money in the game. But microtransaction, like, microtransaction, kind of, yeah. yeah, to get um new characters and like weapons and stuff. But I mean, you can totally play the game like free to play, and like I mean, like the world is just like so beautiful like you've seen like any screenshots of it or whatever like it's kind of it's actually kind of amazing for like a you know free to play game because it looks like a triple a title almost like the 
the graphics and stuff in it, and then um, like the actual gameplay is very like Breath of the Wildish. Like you, there's a lot of exploration, you know, solving puzzles, you know, getting. And a little bit, there's a little bit of like MMO grind also because you're trying to like level up your. Not only do you have to level up your characters, but you also have to like level up your weapons and level up your talents and stuff. So there's some grindy aspects of it which kind of feel like MMO, but um, I mean, I, I just like just enjoy just like looking. I mean, just like looking at the world, just how breathtaking it is, and just like the, the actual gameplay mechanics itself, like the combat and stuff, is actually kind of like. Cool because like, combat is all about like um, assembling like elemental combos to like do more damage to the enemies and stuff because like like combining like um, fire and water for example or um, you know water and electricity etc. And just, I mean the combat I mean that's I just been really enjoying it you know the the gameplay of it it kind of gets my um, World of Warcraft fix without like having to deal with some of like the more you know, slow, like, slow, like, because, like, that's what, that was the thing, like, World of Warcraft combat always felt, like, really slow, and then just, like, you know, having, like, constantly worry about, like, competing with, like, other players for, like, monster spawns is kind of a issue, too, right? <sighs> but, um, I mean, it, it's basically, like, a single-player game. Genshin Impact is basically a single-player game. There is, like, four-player co-op, but, I mean, I haven't done any of that at all. You don't need to do any of it, really, to do the stuff except i think there was like one co-op event where you did need to like group but i didn't do that one but overall i would say it's like a good game it's just some people are definitely just again concerned about like the gotcha aspects but you don't have to spend money on the game because i know people that are actually reached like the max level and they haven't spent anything on it yeah i saw an uh, there, there was a, there was a bunch of articles uh, recently. That, I know that Genshin Impact is a popular game because, again, non-gaming magazines are yeah, reporting on it. Right. Uh, and the thing that they picked up on was like, there's some famous streamer, or maybe not a famous streamer. I don't yeah. know. There's a streamer yeah. who spent like seven thousand dollars yeah on the game. yeah i mean that that is a little bit like i guess if you really want to get like a max because like some of the characters are like super rare and then like the game like encourages you to also get like six more copies of that character so that you can max out their constellation and stuff but i mean you don't need to do that but it's just like there are definitely people who can you know spend like seven thousand dollars if they really want to like max yeah. everything out in the game well i think the ethics of uh you of free to play monetization right. yeah. goes is a much larger topic that we should get yeah, into because sure. uh, yeah. no, I, I, I have a lot no, to say yeah yeah no, I, 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 I i get that yeah <laughs> but uh yeah that's a, that uh i th- i think i think it's clear that genshin impact at least has some appeal uh the beyond that sort of that that sort of free to play stuff uh, is it sound? It's not just like a cheap cash grab. That that's just one aspect of the game. So when you say it's Breath of the Wild, like so that's a real time combat system. Yeah, real time combat system like rewards for exploration. Like even the dungeon interiors are like very like I mean like the graphic style is very Breath of the Wildish like you know I guess like in terms of like everything being light I guess and pastel I'm not trying to explain yeah. it really well but you no know. past pastel and kind of cel shaded yeah cel shaded yeah yeah 
I mean, yeah. and uh, like even like the temples, sort of, or like the little dom- what they call domains, or whatever, like have like a very similar layout. You know, I guess like you know how they had the um, whatever kind of technological temple type layouts or whatever in Breath of the Wild for like the, the temples and stuff, but like that's what the domains kind of look like on the inside in Genshin Impact and like the there's even there's even like client there's even stamina in the game like if you climb because you can climb onto basically anything so or any of the terrain you can climb up any of the mountains and stuff and like you can glide too just like in Breath of the Wild too and that also uses stamina. So like that's also like a similarity and then there's also like the the cooking or whatever, which I guess sort of reminds me of sort of remind me of Breath of the Wild also, but <laughs> because it's different because you, there's actual set recipes as opposed to like where I, I remember in Breath of the Wild you actually had to just manually put in the ingredients, I think, right? I don't know, but I mean that that's what I mean by like Breath of the Wild because it just like feels like it's full of things to discover. Like you'll just like you'll just be walking to like finish some quests, and all of a sudden you'll see like monsters standing in front of a chest, and you go like, "Oh, I better fight these monsters to get a chest." And then you like look somewhere else, and you go like, "Oh, hey, there's like um some kind of you know elemental puzzle I want to solve." You know, and then you'll you'll go and do that, and you'll like look somewhere else, and there's like, oh, there's some other puzzle, or there's like another hidden quest over there, or something like that, or you know, there's some cave that they want to go find. It's just it's just like the whole world is just like full of like little thing like things to do like everywhere you go, and that's like what I found like just really um appealing about it, just how much stuff there is to do in the game, like when you just like explore. Well, there you go, hidden gem Genshin Impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, in case you forget about it, uh, you, uh, and you live in any city, you'll see billboards for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I would just, I well, uh, I, I was, I just took a, a quick like Google of of it just to yeah. see like sort of how much it's infiltrated sort of mainstream discourse, and it has yeah. fully done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is talking about it. Yeah. Here is an article in The Guardian called Genshin Impact, the video game that's slowly taking over the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, well, I guess they did something right. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I, I'm i so out of the cultural loop that I, I don't... Yeah. I just happened to notice, like, it, like, popped up on Twitch a couple times yeah. for me, and then... I clicked on it and then just like saw a scantily clad women r- running around a world and was like, I don't know if this is for me. And then <laughs> closed the Twitch stream and tried to get yeah. some drops on Eternal. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I actually found out about it from watching a Twitch stream because somebody was who was streaming Eternal was like actually streaming it. And I was like, oh, okay, look, this kind of looks like cool and stuff like the the gameplay looked cool, and it was like, it got me, and I like downloaded it, and I played it for myself, and I was like, oh, this is a game I would like to play more. Yeah, that's cool. I yeah. do, I, w- I, 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 I do want to say that it's very unlikely that I will get into the game, as much yeah. as I love Breath of the Wild, right, uh, yeah. because those gotcha elements are such a yes. turn-off for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, even if they're, even if it's possible to play without them, it my awareness of them sort of always being like, "Hey, you want to pay more money for this game?" Yeah. does yeah. interfere with me enjoying it's, it's otherwise so well-designed yeah. games. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. that it's why I don't play Fortnite. You know, there's a lot of things going on there, yeah. but uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a well-built game. I just am very. Right. I mean, like I said, <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about it. Anyway, Hats, I thought you were going to use this opportunity to talk about your favorite cookie clicker game. It was, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's <laughs> it's so hard to describe the appeal of those kind of games. I do play incremental games, and the less graphics and the more abstract they are, the better. <laughs> but they're, they don't have a lot of crossover with card games. They, yeah. I used to be a very, 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 very good at math when I was a kid, and I think it appeals to that part of me because I just yeah. like watching numbers go up without any yeah. pretense that I'm doing anything other than making numbers go up. And so, like, the one that I'm playing right now is Synergism. It's That's the one that I like the best right now, but there is no way to describe it and make it sound yeah. actually appealing. <laughs> yeah. have, you, have you ever played Stream Raiders? No, I've never heard of it. Oh, okay, so I was going to say, if you, like cookie clicker type games that, that have kind of like a RPG, I like guess, battle element or whatever. Those like stream raiders, which is like a thing that um, like a lot of streamers have like, sometimes you like watch this. Oh, stream. sure. Like, you know, it's like you, you basically the whole idea is like you build up an army by like placing them in battles and stuff. And then you just get to like, you get to feel the accomplishment of watching like the little numbers on like your units go up as you keep placing gotcha. them and you yeah buy i've seen that on your i've seen that on your yeah. stream yeah, yeah yeah i can see i can see the appeal of that i'll look into it if i start streaming yeah. again especially yeah. because that would be a nice thing to do sort of in the in downtime yeah. when i'm chatting yeah. with people i can yeah. see i can see why that would be cool yeah some people even actually just stream like the category stream raiders like uh -huh. Raiders category, and then they just go play something else while they're waiting for battles. Like they'll go play Darkest Dungeon while, yeah. they're, while they're still technically in Stream Raiders, but they think that's sort of like accepted because you know the action is only once every thirty minutes in Stream Raiders, unless you decide to start battles early. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so many games. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, and there were twelve games, I never could have right. imagined yeah. that it, it would be like it is now. <laughs> I was like, I've played all the games there are. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really caught yeah. up. And now, yeah, it's yeah, no, I, I, I know those signs too. Like when there was only like a few games available on like Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah. No, really, oh, I was super. Place. I was super excited yeah. when the Smurfs game yeah. came out on like the in television. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But I can play as a Smurf. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, a very, a very hard to see, like pixelated, not even, pixelated Smurf. You just have to. They are not that. recognizable as Smurfs by yeah. today's standards. No. <laughs> yeah, I. My old timey story is, uh, my dad was into computers, so we always had a, a computer, and um, I played civil, you know, the first Civilization a lot when I was a kid, and then. My dad got a computer with a VGA graphics mm -hmm. card. And so I like reinstalled Civilization on the new computer. And I called my next door neighbor, who's my mm -hmm. good friend. And I was like, you would not believe it. I'm like, the water 
it moves. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, a, a th- probably like a three frame thing right. of just waving water <laughs> on the civilization board. And it just like blew my mind as a kid. I was oh, like, yeah. the graphical capabilities of this graphics <laughs> card were <Right>. unparalleled. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was that was pretty good. We had a, a pretty wide breadth of games there that we described. And I think um, a lot of games that could appeal to people who are into card games. So it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, right. it was a really a fun call. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much for inviting me to this. Yeah, thank you for doing this. All right, so I think we'll end our show there. So that is our show. Thank you, Mercurio, for coming on, accepting our invitation. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Hats, for coming back on, coming out of the woods. (laughs) Where I live. (laughs) I live behind uh, tree number 14, in case anyone's trying to find me. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, Thank you again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. I think that really helps spread the word. And don't forget to send all 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com or the Discord. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Goodbye.